0: You're listening to a message from The Church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Good morning. Um, You guys know I'm a pretty transparent person, I guess, and so it's hard for me sometimes just to Shift gears and pretend like well this is going on, but now we're here and you just shift gears real quick. But it's hard for me right now, so just you just have to forgive me if I if I take a minute. You know, there's, there's times you guys know when you're you're head, you know, you got plans, you got things you're doing. You're we're doing church and life interrupts and things go sideways. And so that's been part of this morning, uh, and I'm just, I guess, just stop and pray for a moment. Like with all of you, there may be somebody here, and you're at one of those crossroads of, do I choose to stay the path with God and do the things that are tough that I have to do in order to get to where God wants me to be, or, or do I just say the The heck with all that, and man, I see another way that maybe I can get for myself and I can do for myself, and maybe this road will end me up in a happier place or a better position in this life, rather than trusting God for what you need. And so, maybe there's choices like that going on here, and other choices like that going on very close to us all. And so maybe just stop and pray before we get into this. Ask God to help me to get myself back together. <laughs> I guess I am supposed to play drums. I apologize. Just a lot of things going on. Um, let's just pray for a moment. Uh-huh. But I just I feel like job on the front end of this of just wanting to sit and uh, just weep for seven days and seven nights. I just don't even know what to say. I can't imagine God as you sit above us all and see all the choices that are made every day. And just like people we care about, you love us all so much more than we could ever love anybody. And yet you watch us walk away and make bad choices and not choose you. And so God, would you help us? And just to open our hearts and our minds. I pray that a lot, Father, but that's the only thing that's going to help us is if you open our hearts and our minds, if you draw us to yourself, as you reveal yourself to us, if we just see how wonderful you are. And that's what we're going to look at today, your word, how clear it's just that there's nothing better than knowing you, being in a relationship with you in that eternity, of which starts even now of just, Walking with you, that if our lives are void of you, nothing else matters. So help us, Father, today. Help me. Right now, I guess, God, just get it back together for the sake of I know how important sharing your word is and preaching, so I just need you right now. So I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. To ask you to help me here. <laughs> anyway, I apologize. Uh, anyway, we began a journey in the book of Job. I uh, don't know if that was the smartest thing to do or not. Maybe God's trying to teach us by example, I guess. But uh, Thanks, sir. But. What we've seen through Job is that we can suffer even when we've not done anything wrong. Uh, That suffering can come for a purpose greater than ourselves, greater than our happiness, greater than whatever we think is greater. But suffering may come totally unrelated to sin in our lives. That's so often what people attribute it to. Because there is a principle that says you reap what you sow. And we'll get more into that, more into this series. But tough thought to take in that even a righteous, blameless, good man can suffer so greatly as Job did. And it opens that, the book with telling us that Job was a blameless man. It's, in, it's important to know that he, it opens that way for a reason. And it's to tell us, hey, there's other reasons why we may suffer in God's sovereignty uh, we may actually be used for by God for his glory even through suffering so uh, we learned um, that purpose is greater than prosperity we talked about last week and that righteousness is greater than happiness we talked about and go back and listen to that last week and, and pick up on some of that stuff so as I continue I pray again that God opens your hearts and your minds to his word and what God is doing in your life for his glory and your ultimate good in the end. And so as we get into Job chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11 today. Uh, We've seen that Job lost all of his livestock, lost servants, all his children, buried 10 children in one day. Can't imagine that loss, struck with a terrible disease that had sores, boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, all over his body. His heart and body was broken, and his grief and pain were very tremendous. And yet in the midst of all this we have read so far, Job only praised God and amazingly responded, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, how do you, how do you get that at the end of all that? How do you go there? And even in all this, his wife comes in to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job still responds, it says in verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks, which gives us hope in saying there there are those that are foolish and there's some that aren't, okay? Um, I guess humor isn't good yet in this. Um, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? It says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Can you imagine? Like I stub my toe when I may sin with my lips, much less go through what Job goes through and not do that. I mean, so we ask the question, what is it that you've been given? What is it that you have? What are you afraid could be taken away from you? What gifts has God given you that you fear could be taken? What suffering do you fear? It's a big question we ask, and we addressed those fears last week, I hope, but today it doesn't get any better in Job. Maybe at first, Job's friends, as they come into the story, that helps, but then it gets worse because of those same friends. In Job 2, let's start in verse 11, it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. They're from all these different places. And they say, let's meet up here and we'll go together to comfort him. Good intentions. Good to have friends like that that will come when those times are there. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky and they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. His pain and and grief and loss is so unbearable. Job's grief was so great that they... He says his friends came from a distance. Uh, and as they were approaching and they could see him from a distance, they didn't even recognize him. The grief had so even physically affected him. This thing opened with talking about how Job was one of was the greatest man in the East. This is the greatest man in the East. And yet he's so severely and suddenly broken that I don't know if it's his posture or his eyes are sunk in and his mannerisms perhaps hunched over, weak- weakened from all the despair. Maybe he hasn't been, you know, eating, drinking, uh, taking care of himself, but it caused him to be unrecognizable by his friends at a distance. The man who is blameless, righteous. His pain is now very great, and I can't imagine how Job felt. But we get insight by this book into the, the despair, and we get his laments, his crying out to God, and we get to walk with Job through some of his thoughts. I, I did, and I hopefully you did I, last week. I, I just kind of every time I read it, I just I you kind of stand there in, in awe and wonder, going, how in the world could a guy have such adoration and praise for God in the midst of all this. Instead of cursing God, he blessed God. Even in his suffering, to turn around and say, thank you, God. In all this, Job did not sin against God with his lips, as we read. Not always our first response, right? Even when we get a flat tire, not always our first response. But now some time has passed, not sure how much time and Job begins to lament, as it says in the heading of my Bible, it says in chapter 3, is is this lament, and before we read more, um, remember, this is so, the book of Job and his story is so sold in our churches that Job suffered, he praised God, and so you should too. I mean, that's how it's sold, and that's the, it it is in, in some ways a summary of this, but it does not do justice to what all is in this book. It's a simplistic view, however true. But it's not all of the book of Job, of Job. The first two chapters are not all there is to the story. Okay, And this last part of chapter 2 would seem wonderful. And it is that his, his, his three friends would come from different lands, meet up together, and, and come to him and mourn with him. Sit with him in his suffering. And it says a lot to us as Christians on how to help those who are in the same situation. How to help someone who is suffering. I'm telling you, it's enough just to be there. It's enough just to sit, even if it's in the silence, and and be there. That's all I could do this morning pretty much in a situation is just be there. And so next week we will see that the mistake these guys make later is opening their mouth and talking, okay? They should have just kept quiet and they would have been okay. But they did right for now when they get there. They get this right. Job's robe was torn, so they tear their robe. Job had thrown ashes over his head, so they do the same. He was sitting on the ground, they sit on the ground. They don't go find a comfortable chair and pull it up beside him while he's on the ground and go, I'm with you, right? No, they, they get where he's at, and that's, that's so often what we are called to do is to weep with those who are weeping. As Christians, we enter into that, and it affects us as though we, I mean, we're a part of it. They did as he was doing. We were weep with those who are weeping, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. That's what the Bible says. And so often we got to be careful. There's times when I'm just, man, I've had a great day. This good thing has happened to me. And you walk into a, a, a person who's talking about the, the terrible thing that's happened to them. You know what I need to do sometimes? Well, all the time in that situation. I don't need to just walk in and go, hey, you, listen to what happened to me. This is so good, right? Let me tell you about my day. They just just shut up. I mean, that's just and just listen. You can share your good thing with somebody else who wants to hear your good thing. This person needs you to weep with them right now. So you just it's not about you. And you just got to take that in. And these guys genuinely loved and cared for Job. Just looking at him was painful, right? And they sit with Job for seven days and seven nights, right? I've sat in a hospital for 30 minutes and need to go get a cup of coffee, right? I mean, there's times when we just got to say, well, you know, it's not about me. I just got to let go of all that, right? Not that it's wrong to go get somebody a cup of coffee and maybe you want to, okay? But the seven days, seven nights, it was a traditional time period for mourning uh, during this time to mourn a death. So he's lost his kids seven days, seven nights, and uh, after this time, Job is the one who breaks the silence of not talking, only weeping. Now he goes into lamenting. Job does. He is the one that begins that. In your Bible, the the way the text is written, when you get out, you know it changes when you get into chapter three. And you'll notice, hopefully your Bible's written, wrote this way, because it should be, you'll see these nice, normal paragraphs, and then all of a sudden it goes into this more spaced out, uh, smaller line by smaller line, and that's because this goes from this introductory prose, just regular, here's a description of what's going on, and in chapter 3 it, it transitions in the second verse into Poetry. The, the format of the writing changes. And that's why that looks that way. And so it goes from, here's the information you need up front to Job's lamenting in a poetry form, almost like a song. And so the first two chapters just set you up to understand that Job's suffering is not related to any sin in Job, but completely... Related to the fact that God delights in Job. Okay? Keep that in mind as we go through this. Great relationship with God, great man, and God uses a great man to show his glory. That, he shows that God is really enough for us alone. With no stuff added to it. God is good alone. God is using Job to disprove Satan. And his accusation that God is bribing Job to love him. Remember that phrase, disprove Satan. We're going to address that one. I came across this this morning. Nikki took out a song, so I added a whole page of notes. Okay. Um, You you ever pray for God to use you that way, though? I know we don't. This is more of a reflective question. Maybe you do. Maybe you're better than I am. You ever even offer to God, God, if I can disprove Satan today, I'm yours. You ever pray that way? I don't think that's in our vocabulary, is it? Nobody's signing up for that. God, if I can show you to be enough, would you use me to to show you to be enough? I mean, think of, there's probably no greater purpose you can serve for people, right? It's where you hear, you know, you see the guy, you know, I'm I hate to even bring this up, uh, the Rockets beat the Warriors in overtime last night, um, and I'd say if, I don't know Harden's spiritual condition, James Harden, but for him to beat them and turn around and go, God's good, right? Not as powerful as someone who goes through great tragedy and turns around and says, God is good. See the impact difference? Because you'd look at somebody who, you know, just wins the Super Bowl and they go, oh, glory to God. Well, yeah, obviously. You know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Not that it's wrong to, I'm glad those guys do that that are Christians. But it's, it is not as impactful to somebody's life as it is somebody who's going through suffering to say, God's still good. He's awesome. God is wonderful. But I don't think we ever pray that. Job didn't pray that either, but so loved God that God gave the task to him. So in chapter 3, we have the reality of when the questions come. That's that's where we got to. He, he's been praising God. He's been thanking God. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then seven days, seven nights go by, and now I have questions, God. What I'm getting into the why moments. The What's next? Where are you? The the despair state of all this. Job doesn't know why in God's sovereignty he's doing this to him is the way he feels. And and so he's expressing this. Why, when I know God is good and loving and just and sovereign, am I experiencing this great suffering? His His heart's broken, his body covered in sores. He's just going through All of this, and in chapter 3, after those seven days and seven nights, he expresses the trouble that's going on in his soul. And it's different than what we've heard before out of Job. Notice, I noticed something as I read this. Um, Job does not lament here. You You need to pay attention when you read this stuff, okay? He does not lament here in all of this about the loss of his family or the loss of his health. His great agony. L- listen to what, listen to what, where this goes, okay? Because I want to say this up front instead of sharing it with you. I want you to hear it as we read it. His great agony in all of this has become the loss of his great friend, God. Where are you? That is his despair. He feels like God's abandoned him. And that troubles him more than all that he lost. That is a great suffering than all of the other stuff he's been through combined as far as Job is concerned. He knows he could make it if God were just with him. But he feels like, understand, feels like God is nowhere to be found. His concern from beginning to end is God and not his health and wealth. Yeah, that, that that hurt when that happened. Yeah, all that is part of his, I'm suffering, but in my suffering, I could make it, God, if I just knew where you were and what, why this is happening. So understand that, just as there's a guy named David Atkinson, he said, the book of Job doesn't simply prepare us for suffering. The book of Job prepares us to walk with God in and through our suffering. Anybody ever, I asked this question I think last week, anybody ever feel like God's abandoned you? It's like, where'd he go? I was so close to him, man, it was so such good times. I can remember my, me personally laying in bed at night sometimes just going, just laying there falling asleep, just overwhelmed by God, I love you so much, you're so good, you're just, I mean, tears streaming down my face just, and just, just going, God, man, you're just so good, I'm just so thankful for you. I mean, having those moments, and then turning around and having moments where you're just like, where in the world are you? Like, where'd you go? As though he's the one that left, that his presence, you ever feel like it's just his presence is gone, that the relationship is broken for some reason, and you can't figure out why. Look at Job 3, let's look at verses 1 through 26, okay? Okay. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And he said, and he goes into this poetry. Now notice Job did not curse God, but cursed the day he was born. He did not do what his wife said, which is, will not you just curse God and die? That's not what he's doing here, okay? It's, it's not that. It's not Satan being right and, he's, and, and Job is turning on God. He is simply agonizing and expressing this feeling of loss of God. He goes on to say, So he says, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said, A boy is conceived. May that dar- day be darkness. Let not God above care for it nor light shine on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let the darkness seize it. Let, not, let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. Job wants to go back and undo his existence, for his life to exist without the friendship and love of God, Job would rather not have it. Life is not worth it without God. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He has experienced that. To have experienced that and lose that is more impactful to Job than everything else he's ever had and lost. And so he says he goes on in this, he's going to say, why, why would you let me experience you and have you and and be in this relationship with you and then for you to just disappear? I would rather have never had any of it. He goes on saying verse eight, let those curse it who curse the day who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none, and let it not see the breaking dawn. Because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes, why did I not die at birth? Now he's gone so far as to say, okay, well, I was born, so if I can't undo my existence, then God, why could I just not die when I was born? This is his lamenting, his crying out his his thoughts as he's going through this, okay? Hopefully it makes you feel more normal because we get there sometimes, right? Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me and why the breasts that I should suck, right? Some of you can go, go home and read your Bible now, right? For now I would have lain, we can laugh too, okay? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then. I would have been at rest with kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold, who were filling their houses with silver or like a a miscarriage which is discarded. I would not be as infants that never saw light. You see that? What if I'd never been born? And then... Or what if I had been born, he says. If I had been born, why could I have not died when I was born? Because then, in that moment, I would have just gone on to be with God and been at rest and been at peace and not had to experience all this. I would have just been with God, okay? But but why would I have to live and have this happen? And theologically, there's this thing in there in the Bible that shows over and over that infants, babies... Young children, before a certain age of understanding, go to heaven. They're with with God, okay? We see it with David and what he experiences and the loss of his son, and he quits praying for his child that's sick after the child dies, and his servants come to him and go, Why are you, your child has died, why are you not crying and praying now? he says, Because I know I'll be with him again one day. When he was sick, I needed to pray for him. When he's with God, it's okay. I'll go to be with him again. So there's, there's, there's more of that theology wrapped up in this. It says, verse 17, there, there the wicked cease from raging and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. Makes you think of to live as Christ, to die as gain, that it's actually better to be there. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there and the slave is free from his master. Then it gets really deep in this, okay? To walk with God and know how good it is and then lose him is just so much more painful. And this is not a case for losing your salvation, okay? That's not what this is. This is the emotional laments of a man going through suffering, right? His faith and longing for God are still there. And we know from reading all the context through the, End of the book that God has not left Job. God is with him and listening and using him for a great purpose. Okay. I'll get, I'll get into in a minute about this testing that God does with us. Okay. But then he goes on in verse 20. It says, Why is light given to him who suffers? And life to the bitter soul, bitter of soul, who long for death but there is none, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? And we heard that word hedged before, but don't get confused. This is a different hedge than chapter one, when Satan said, well, you've hedged him in with protection. You've hedged him in with prosperity you've given him security in what he has you've hedged him in and that's why he loves you not but for the stuff not for you as we saw referenced back in verse 10 of chapter 1 that was a hedge of protection from evil and suffering the hedge here he's talking about that god has hedged me in is not to keep the evil out job feels like this is a hedge to keep me in the suffering this is a this is, Job is speaking of of a hedge that keeps him in, imprisoned from the absence of God. For my groaning comes at the sight of my food and my cries pour out like water for what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. Everything good in Job's life he sees as worthless if God is not a part of it. And if he loses God in the end, it's just, what's the point? Without God, there is no hope. So if if we are really gods and we have walked closely with him, okay? Listen, this is is what we need to sink into us today. If, If you have been there, and you know how good God is, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you have seen this, then what should happen to us when we feel like God has abandoned us, if we have a proper theology? Because we know God has said He'll never leave us or forsake us, right? So so we, we have to get our thinking right. It's a difference between thinking, believing the truth, and, and following our broken emotions. Emotions can really mess you up, okay? We just It's not what culture says and the world says. We'll just do whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good. If it feels right, it, it can't be wrong. Baloney. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? We, our lives aren't dictated by our feelings, but rather by the truth, of God's word so my thinking has to be right first I have to believe right so I think right so my attitude's right so that my emotions are right so then I behave right okay that's how that works but so many people are driven by emotion so eventually they have to twist the truth to back up what they feel like doing if your morality doesn't um, if your theology doesn't dictate your morality then your morality will, morality will dictate your theology how that works okay so what, what what should we what should happen for us as believers if we've experienced that if we really have okay this is a challenge for us if we feel like god is far from us here's the first thing we should lament we're gonna feel like if this happens to us we shouldn't like it if we feel like god is far from us okay I'm not going to stand up here and say, oh, just put on a happy face. Hakuna Matata. Okay? Until I have little kids. Seems like for a long time. That's an old movie. Um, but you, you know what? It should feel bad. And sometimes we feel like, man, I must be wrong because I feel bad because But, but God's, I feel like He's far from me. Right? We try to get rid of the bad feeling rather than try to find God again and get back right with Him, right? So we should lament. It's okay to do that. God, where are you? far from me. I I don't like this that you're, you're far from me. It's okay to ask the questions and go through that. But the second part of that is if we know that love from God and we have tasted it, would we not seek God harder and press back into God? Instead of walking away from him, not turn from him. And we see we'll see that Job continue he he's he's questioning, he's expressing his lament, and he just go presses back after God, asking the questions and seeking God, and God, where are you? And what about this? And and God eventually speaks in the midst of all that, but we see Job continues to press toward God, longing to have a relationship back where he sees and hears God clearly. God has simply gone silent on Job to prove Satan wrong. If you go back to what we talked about last week, it's the challenge to show Satan that Job's greatest treasure is God. So we get this lament to show us we should cry out for God and long for him more than anything. Without God, it's all worthless. Even to eat food is worthless, but he does it. It's not suicidal thoughts. Okay, that's not where he's going. It's simply anguish over living without God. He can't feel God's presence and needs that in this moment. And these are poetic laments of a man who's suffering and wants to hear from God. He doesn't understand why. He was even born to eventually experience this, and Job is not going to rest until he finds God again. So this is the why question in the midst of suffering. because That's where we all go. This is meant to help us walk with God when life goes sideways. You too will at one point ask the question in your suffering. And Job says, hey people, listen, especially you folks over in the United States where it's all up and to the right and living the American dream and everybody wants to have a house and a white picket fence and a dog and two and a half kids and an SUV, Right? It's, it's the American dream want to all look pretty and be nice all the time and, and just live that comfortable prosperity. Job is saying, hey, those trying to live the American dream, I get it because I was living it. Suffering will be a part of it. You think it's not and it's not supposed to be, but it is. And you better be prepared for it. Job knows what it's like to prosper and knows what it's like for it to all go sideways. And you will have that moment of suffering when you can't find God when you need him most. That's gonna that'll come. If you follow God closely, that will come. Trust me, it will come. In that moment, you have to speak truth to yourself. Job didn't have what we have. We have the entire Bible, we have this whole book. Old Testament, New Testament, all these writings, all this word from God that tells us how to handle this, we remember God is still there. God will not abandon us. And when we don't know what to do, come on now, y'all been here long enough, heard me say it, you heard Rocky say it before me, those that were there. When you don't know what to do, just do what you know to do, right? Don't abandon all your beliefs in the moment of not knowing, right? We continue to stay on course and seek God. We don't abandon the, abandon the things of God. God has told us to do when we don't have what we think we should have in this world. God is our treasure. It's, it's like it says in the New Testament, the story about the man who finds the treasure buried in a field and he sells everything he's got to buy that field so he can have that treasure. And we see Job, he's lost all that, but he had the treasure, so he hangs on because he knows that's what's most important. Right? Job still had treasure. And he's thinking he's lost it, but what's most valuable, and i got to find that again. Right? And, and that's what should drive us. That's been our problem in, the, in East Tennessee religion. It's not Christianity. It's not... It's not it, we have to be driven by love for God, not just fear of hell. Okay, that's where we've been. That's just, when you're driven by fear, in this moment, you'll just run. It'll be, it'll be flight, okay? You're going to run, you're going to turn from what you believe, and you're going to say, oh, that can't be true. But when your treasure is God and you love him, it changes inside of you what's going on. When we love God, it changes us and we're driven forward even when it's bad because we know God is good. You've got to get into the word and what he says to you and love him or you'll lose this. Not lose your salvation. If you don't love him, you probably never had it, right? You may have heard this before, but it's true. We don't abandon in the darkness what we were sure about in the light. Don't we often do that? Don't abandon in the darkness what you, what you knew in the light. Don't be surprised and confused as a genuine Christian when these times come. They will. This may happen to you in your walk with God. There's another scripture that comes to mind. This is another place when you think about this. Hezekiah, great man of God, who prospered, and at one point it says... That God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now that word know is something we're going to talk about in just a second because it's important. Another version says withdrew his spirit to test Hezekiah. Here's a guy doing right, doing good, and all of a sudden God goes, I'm going to test him. And this is part of your Christian walk too. You want to know what's really in your heart? You want to know? God can show you simply by leaving you alone for a season. Listen, and if the Holy Spirit is in you, you will be who you're supposed to be before the darkness, in the darkness, and after the darkness. Romans 5, right? We we rejoice in our sufferings, right? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and that character just strengthens our hope, right? That's what it's there for. That's what the test does. You want to know what's in your heart? You want to know how it will show you before, during, and after? It'll really give you the complete picture, Right? You may suffer not because of sin, but because God wants to produce endurance, character, and hope in you. Why would you not want that? You're like, I want that, I just don't want what it takes to get it. I don't want to pay the price to get it. A genuine believer may be taken through deep despair for a purpose. A redemptive opportunity is what you'll have in that suffering. Okay, there's a, there's a I, get this. There's places where it talks about God testing, and, and that word in there, um, I won't get into the Nakah the and yada, what the, the Greek Hebrew and how those things are used, because I don't know that I'm smart enough to do that either but I do understand this, like Psalm 66, 10 says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. And that word tested, same thing we're seeing over here in Job, okay? In Job 23, 10, on down the road, we're going to see, but it says, but he knows the way I, that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. He says this later. This is what this is for, right? There's all kinds of places. You know, the Hezekiah thing of testing him, right? Psalm twenty-six two, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Okay, that's important. Try my mind and my heart. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know, it's the same word that we're getting over here, this so that he can know you, when it says this, it's really what it what it's the it's better translated in these instances to prove you. And I'll tell you what that means here in just a moment. Know my heart, try me, see if there is any wicked way in me. Okay, listen to this. This is some a guy named Scott LePierre. Okay, Christian guy, author. He says. When God tests people, it is not to imply he did not already know them. Okay? Nakah is also translated as prove. Because when God tests us with trials, he's proving what's in our hearts. Okay? It's not for him to know us. That's not what he's doing in the the sense of what we think know us. It's for him to prove us. Because, listen, what was Satan's challenge? He doesn't love you. He just loves the stuff you give him. And so what's God do with him? He uses Job and proves Job to Satan. It's, it's, it is not for him to know us, but to prove us to Satan and the world for his glory so that other people can see God really is that good. He's really enough. He is really the greatest treasure more than anything else you could have. That's what he's saying when he says this stuff, to test us, to, to know us. It's to prove us. That's what the test does. Do you get that? I know we're not praying for that and signing up for it, Right? But when you walk through it, you need to understand those things, because it may be you're reaping what you sow, and it may be that God's just proving you, because there's a challenge been made. Could you imagine Satan? I mean, that he would he would think you so that God would so delight in you that God would go, hey Satan, hey, check out Gilda. Have Have you seen Gilda? Have you considered Gilda? She's knocking it out of the park, dude. She loves me, and for Satan to go, no, she just loves you because that great husband you gave her, right? Anyway, so it, you see what I'm saying? It, could you imagine that that God would do that with you? That you'd be so you'd be so delighted in Him? Not that you're walking perfect, but when you know sins in your life, you turn from it. And you're loving God, and God says, that one loves me. Not, that one's afraid of me. That one does is scared they're going to go to hell if they don't obey me. Not that kind of theology. But so loves me that follows, serves, no matter what they have or what they're given. I can't express that enough. Tim Keller says, in the darkness, we have a choice that is not there in better times. This is so good. Sorry, it helps me. Okay. I don't know if it helps you, it helps me. We can choose to serve God just because He is God. In the darkest moments, we feel we are getting absolutely nothing out of God or out of our relationship to Him. Listen, but what if? What if, when it doesn't seem to be paying? Or benefiting you at all you continue to obey and pray to and seek God as well as continue to do your duties of love for others if we do that we are finally learning to love God for himself and not for his benefits and then when the darkness lifts or lessens we will find our dependence on other things besides God for our happiness is shrunk and we have a new strength and contentment in God himself. We will find a new fortitude and flammability and poise and peace in the face of difficulty. So the next one comes, you're standing even stronger. Going through this book of Job should give you perseverance and Teach you about character and about hope. I love C.J. Mahaney's question. He talked about helping others going through what Job is going through. That this book, reading this, enables you to help others as they suffer. So if he he, he had this great question, I just love this because I went. Okay, I'm a pastor and I walk into some difficult moments, okay? This, was, this is, think about this. This got me, okay? So if you met with Job for prayer this morning at this point in the story, say, Job sent you a note and said, hey, you know what I've been through? Would you meet with me and pray this morning? And then he begins to pray and he gives you chapter 3. I wish I'd never been born. God, would you just never let me be born? Would you just, and if I'd been born, could you not just kill me when I was born? Like if he starts praying that, and you're sitting there, how would you respond? I mean, I mean, like I, I give Job's friends a little bit of slack right here. I'm like, well, you've got to not be so hard on them. It's pretty tough for him to do that. And then what do you say? What do you do? Now I'll let you come to your place with that through your reading. Hopefully you'll read more of this. But listen, the best thing Job's friends did with him, for him, is to sit with him. In silence and weep with him. On the ground with him. Now, biblical counseling may come later, okay? There's a place for that. You get to that, but not here. Not right here. And so if there's something I would say to you this morning, especially if you're a guest and you don't know, a lot you haven't been through that with people here. This this church is a place that you can come in in your pain and, and Many of you have done that. And we will sit with you and it's okay to express your pain and your suffering and your fears and your doubts and your whys to God. And we'll be there with you. And if you want our thoughts our biblical counseling, then we can do that too. But for the, we're not going to, we just want to weep with those who are weeping. That's the best thing we can do with for you. It's okay it's a safe place to express all that to question those things that when you get through suffering to to have a place where you can go I need I just need to express this we hey, we're with you we understand And I guess the best piece in the midst of this I could offer is and before I pray is, is just to, to understand remember the darkest, moment on the planet that's ever happened was not Job's. I mean, I look at what he went through and I think, dear Lord. But Job's was not the greatest test. It was not the most awful time of feeling God turn his back on someone. The most awful time of feeling God turn away was not had by Job. It was by Jesus on the cross in our place when he looks toward heaven and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he felt it. He knows. All this, again, when you read through this, it all foreshadows and points toward Jesus. Darkness fell over the land for three hours while he hung on the cross and Jesus cried out like Job. Blameless, yet asking, Why have you forsaken me? But had he? Had God forsaken Jesus, even though he was asking and questioning? No, he knew what was coming. Jesus understands suffering, is the point there. He is with you in your darkest times. And just like the song we've sang a couple weeks, if he's walking out of the grave, you can too. Darkness and Satan do not have the final word. God does. So let's pray. Father, I just, it all comes back to you. And I just pray that, Father, we would all see Jesus in these words about Job, in this book of Job, that, that we would see the provision given to us to have that relationship with you through Jesus. That regardless of our suffering, there is a way to persevere, to build character, to have hope, and it's through Jesus. Your grace by faith in Jesus. And so I pray if there's someone here that does not, has not embraced you, maybe the suffering has kept them from it, Father, would you just break through that and let them see that you are the greatest treasure, not what they may have lost. And that the greatest thing they could lose is you. That the greatest thing they could experience is you. And so Father, bring them to you would you just draw them to yourself Father as they sit here would they just see your goodness and turn from themselves to your son Jesus Father would people be pointed this morning to hope in Jesus Father for the unspoken requests that were given this morning places I've been this morning, would you just would you send this that you are better that you are better than all of it that it is worth loving you and losing stuff Father I pray for those who are suffering this morning If I could, I would just walk right out here on the floor and just sit and weep. To stand here this morning in my heart, I am weeping with someone. Father, I just pray that we would continue to be a church that extends hope, but that will just sit and be there for people. So I thank you for all those people here that that do that for each other, that do that for perfect strangers, that that they're willing to walk in and bring Jesus into a situation and just sit down and love people. Thank you, Father, for all your provisions and just who you are above all else. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.